You're listening to Version Control, Pounding Rain's digital news podcast. That was the big announcement alarm. It was bound to happen, really. Our founding partner slash creative director, Jackson, is known for working harder than anyone else in the room. He's also worked to create a strong team around him, however, and it appears that he's finally melded his work ethic with the creative talent in the Pounding Grain family. Jackson will maintain the majority of his normal work duties, but he's handing some of the auxiliary tasks over to his newly created assistant, Jackson Bot. That's right. Jackson commissioned members of the Pound and Grain team from both Toronto and Vancouver to develop a bot helper to lighten the load. That means that you listeners are in for a special treat today. Making his version control debut, it's Jackson Bot. Hello everyone. We're happy to have you here. Thank you, humans. I feel emotional responses. Since we've got you here, Jackson Bot, I was just wondering, was my vacation request granted? Great question. That's next on my list. How about mine, Jackson Bot? Too many time off requests to process. Error. Error. Uh, as you can see, we have a few bugs to work out. Jackson Bot, what's left in the budget for your revisions? That's an Amanda question. Wow, he really is becoming Jackson. This should be a really fun episode. Join us as we get into the very first version control that features our new automated friend, Jackson Bot. Yes. Join us, humans. Version Control presents Episode 44 April Fool's Fun. We are back, and we have a big special announcement to make. Round two on on Ivana telling us what the big announcement is. April Fool's! Yes, that performed far better than the last time we did it, in which she stared at me with a blank face. (laughs) It's April Fool's, not today, but it's our April Fool's episode. Uh, So guess what? Everything from our introduction was a ruse. Kind of. Kind of. Jackson isn't here again, unfortunately. Sadly, but we didn't build a bot to represent him. Correct. He very well could have been operating as a bot this whole time as he's working from home. There's no way to truly know. I've been there. (laughs) He's real. How how do you know he's a flesh man? (laughs) I just know. Okay, guys. (laughs) Okay, fair. And let's uh, do a rundown of the cast of characters that we have here today. Ivana. That's me. Yes. Our writer... And Mark. I'm back. Who is back from lawn bowling in, at Del Boca Vista in Florida. He's had his feet up. He came back with no tan at all somehow. I'm not really sure <laughs> why, but... SPF 60, baby. Yeah, because he <laughs> lathers Eat on your heart out, melanoma. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's very safe and shady. Uh, and Scott, of course. Who missed Mark the most. Aww. Right. So we are talking about April Fool's today, but in what capacity, Scott? 
Oh, we are definitely going to be roundtabling today about how brands celebrate and kind of create things for April Fools and how sometimes it goes really, really well and super fun and sometimes it gets cringy bad. Um, I think it like a lot of it kind of derives from what a brand stands for and how they kind of portray themselves. Uh, and if they do it really, really well, I think they know themselves and they know their audiences. And when they don't, it really, really shows. So what do you guys think? I mean, what's uh, what are... We've all been alive for a certain amount of years and experienced this April Fool's thing. Um, what are some examples of brands that have done an April Fool's joke online or even on TV or how, however in any form of entertainment you can remember that really kind of sticks with you? Google very memorably does something every year. And in fact, they seem to do a lot of things every year uh, to the point where people kind of question why. I don't know if it does anything for Google's brand awareness. <laughs> I don't really know what the point of it is. Maybe it's just for internal fun. I think that's exactly it. I think April Fool's is a fun thing to celebrate. So when you're a fun brand, it's when you can really show that. And that's, um, that's something that Google advertises too, I think, right? Like the internal funness of working at Google. I think they have that 80-20% rule where 80% of the work is for Google that you do there and 20% is you know, your own fun stuff. So I'm sure that's where the April Fool jokes kind of come from, from what, the 20%. What does it do for our perception of Google, though? Does it change anything? Do we care? It definitely puts it in the news. I mean, come tomorrow, because today's April Fool's, right? A lot of us are going to come into the office and be like, did you see what Google did for April Fool's? Um, and Google is a great example because they do more than one thing every year. A lot of times it's about kind of spotting what they've done. Um, like I remember that one year they made Alexa for pets. Um, they did like, where's Waldo on Google maps is super fun stuff. So I think it's like, they're a great example of like a fun brand that knows themselves and creates to the holiday for that particular reason. I think the other reason that why, what Google does for April fools works is because it makes sense for their brand because they're actually using their product for the most part. Um, it's Google maps that does it right. So they're actually using their product and they're integrating the prank or the, the joke into that. Um, I think that's like a key for brands when they're creating an April Fool's thing. It has to make sense for whatever their product or service is. One of my favorites is last year's was um, the, uh, the prank that Warby Parker and Arby's were becoming one, not becoming a company, but they were like having a joint partnership and we're going to have the onion ring monocle, which was hilarious. The video that they like announced it were the, um, the CEOs or the, the founders of Warby Parker announcing it in a very like buttoned up way. And you could tell like it was a prank right away, which sometimes works if it's very, very obvious. Sometimes it's like, oh, haha, like that made me laugh. Um, but sometimes it's better to go the other way and make it kind of believable where people think it's something real and then you reveal that it was a... Do you think that's the riskier move? Which one? It seeming very real. Because then you convince the internet of something that's not real and that's when like the 24-hour turnover time, like that's when the explosion happens and, and things can go south. I think the best ones uh, have enough creativity involved that they could be real. Mm -hmm. The you know, best the example to that was Nintendo when they April Fool's joked that Pokemon was going to be a mobile game and then two years later it became a mobile game yeah. mm -hmm. based on that April Fool's joke where they had such a good response to it. But not every brand can do that. Like not every brand is kind of structured to do that. I think that like what I really love about the Warby Parker 
onion monocle um, is that it's it is a like a brand combination of Warby's, um, but it also makes like stupid sense for both. It just makes you think about it, right? It's not a real thing. Everybody knows it's not a real thing, um, but it actually makes stupid sense. And they they also did it in a really nice way. Like they branded it beautifully. They presented it really well. Like they put care into it rather than like where it's a thing where you can tell they just scrambled to get a tweet together to take part of April Fool's. Like there was thought behind it and I appreciate that. I think if you go way over the top, um, it actually does work. So I remember last year, Netflix announced that they purchased Seth Rogen. Yeah. Like just as a human, which is like, because they were buying everything at the time. Like Netflix purchased this movie and this this show and stuff like that. And like, oh, and and also we we bought this human. Um, So that was funny because obviously they didn't, but it was kind of worked within their brand. Um, But then at the same time, in terms of like the believable, like I'm, we're, the Lego example from last year where Lego like jokingly announced a Lego vacuum cleaner that sorted your Lego pieces on the floor. Like that would be awesome if it was real. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things when when you want it to be real, like you said with the example of Pokemon Go, like that works well in your favor. Um, and back to the Netflix example, because I was researching like some some good April Fools examples, and turns out that uh, his special was dropping like that week, so that was super smart for Netflix. It was like a fun thing that anyone could laugh and move on from, but it also doubled as like a marketing play. So what do you think this year? What are some of the brands you're looking forward to for April Fool's when you, when you kind of wake up tomorrow and, uh, and kind of take a look and see what everybody's doing? I don't know who I could say I'm looking forward to specifically, but the tech sector really seems to go at it. I don't really know why. I think maybe, just guessing, it's because um, it's a sector that is known for its innovation and creativity, so they really want to dial into that. Uh, it's not like they're like, resting on their laurels as a brand or a product that's you know been trusted i guess it's a good way for tech companies to kind of pitch ideas to the world to see if it like you know gets a good reaction or not that's it's a pretty good like cool idea um the problem is with that i think like is you know following through on like if if you do get a really good reaction and people do want this product that you've all of a sudden come up with like one i can think of is that google knows thing where you can like search by by oh, smell yeah. google sniff um, or whatever yeah and like they they now have like google goggles or whatever it is where you can like take a photo but like um i don't know i'm still waiting for google nose to come out and that's been a while and then you know i've got some resentment built up there from <laughs> for google from that one so so i guess that kind of leads to the to the question too i mean maybe google isn't the best example for that but is it worth it for all brands to kind of get involved with this celebration and like just in terms of like looking at things like production value like some people like with the warby parker example like they rebranded this whole thing they definitely took some time and effort to do it just for this one particular day which got them a lot of press and it was great Um, but is it worth it for everybody to kind of experiment in that or dip their toe into that that celebration well microsoft actually pulled out this year i don't know if you guys heard that the company's marketing chief said that it has limited positive impact um and it can create unwanted news cycles so microsoft's a huge company and they've they've pulled out of it this year see my cynic is telling me that that's the setup to a huge joke that's going to be dropped by yeah Microsoft. of course and that's like that's, where he's going to pull off a mask and it's kermit the frog or something yeah. like that right <laughs> i hope so but i also pulled a quote here that's a little bit bummerville but uh it is this woman who is a professor at university of chicago who very interestingly um, delves into what happens when people anthropomorphize corporate brands. 
which is interesting. I didn't really know that someone was studying that, but cool. And she says, at a subconscious level, brands that dupe their customers, even in service of a lighthearted occasion, risk planting the seeds of distrust. Yeah, dun, that's dun, definitely dun. a concern. I don't think... Uh, I personally, like, if a brand didn't take part in April Fool's, I wouldn't be, like, disappointed or care necessarily. It's more like... It's it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. It's a it's a topic that's popular at that time, you know, like join the hashtag, get involved. It's a fun way to make consumers laugh. But the key is that it should be harmless. Like if you're um, creating a fake product, that's a harmless prank because it's like, oh, joking, that's not going to happen. And it might leave customers disappointed, but no harm was done. Um, but if you're doing something where the consumers like, really truly believed it and it was maybe not just a product maybe it was like a movement or something that's a little bit more emotional um and then they feel tricked or duped like you just said like oh well now i feel dumb for falling for that like thanks insert brand here can you imagine you remember when alexa was laughing randomly in people's homes can you imagine that was an april fool's joke ew like i don't i don't think people would i think alexa would be dead i don't think that would be a thing anymore I, i mean i don't know if i totally agree i feel like if there's a time for a brand to very lightly laugh at their consumers, it's that nine to noon time frame on April Fools. I think like we're, I, I, and this is just my opinion, if there was like a time to do that, that's the only time where it's acceptable. I totally understand like, yes, it generates mistrust. It could generate mistrust. But if it is within that window, I think as consumers were smart enough to be like, you know what, that was funny. They got me, time to move on. Give me more chicken. Like, <laughs> yeah. So do you guys have examples of really poorly executed April Fool's pranks from brands? It's not so much poorly executed, but just a a lot of them um, you can find that they didn't think too much about it. And they're like, oh, we forgot that it's April Fool's in two days. What can we throw together? Um, And hopefully it'll be awesome. And it's when you stack it up against some of these other ones, it really you can really tell that it just did not. They didn't think too much about it. The one thing, the one that, I mean, it may have, they may have put a lot into it, but one year Taco Bell released a press release saying they bought the Liberty Bell in <laughs> Philadelphia. And I was just kind of like, man, Taco Bell is one of those brands that could do so much. And that was what they did. They just released a little, again, but that might be my own expectations of a brand like Taco Bell, usually doing fun stuff. And then they just come up with a little press release. So I was a little bit deflated on that one. Were, were people upset because, like, were prideful Americans upset about that? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, it's also, like, a bit of a sensitive subject. Is like, this, like, fast food company is buying yeah. an American landmark. And, yeah. like, I don't know if they thought too much about it. Um, but in their defense, I think this was, like, two years ago, still talking about it. <laughs> True. <laughs> so probably worked on some level. One example that I saw was from this company that I've never heard of, um, probably because they messed up April Fools, called Lucid Mattress, where they had a haram bed. And this was like, I know, rest in peace. Um, (laughs) They made this really nasty looking bed that was like a million dollars or a thousand dollars or something. And it looked like the dead body of a gorilla. And it was so distasteful and so poorly like they oh and like the thing that they used to promote it was um 
the bed of your memes. So I guess their their attempt to join like the pop culture trend about like Harambe and all like the meme culture around him totally missed the mark because I completely didn't understand the audience. Like the whole meme culture around Harambe is that we loved him and he shouldn't have had to die. And it was just, it's just poorly, poorly, poorly done. Very sad, very insensitive, but that looks like a sweet bed, I gotta say. No, what are you talking about? Yeah. I Ew. would not want to sleep in a bed with arms that are designed to wrap around you. That just seems very I, constrictive. I, if you should die before you wake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, understanding me. your audience has to be like key. I've, I've just pulled up on Wikipedia um, a list of Google's April Fool's jokes. And it seems like they're, I mean, in my mind, they're kind of the trendsetter for digital online um, April Fool's jokes because I I mean, I don't know who started it, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was Google, but it kind of dates back to the year 2000. Um, but they kind of hit a peak in like 2011, 2012, um, where they had about 20 or so, 25 jokes on the day in 2012. But in 2018, they only had six. So it seems like they're kind of um, pulling back a little bit. Yeah. So well, also because twenty is a little excessive. I don't know if anybody yeah. cares enough. Yeah, and, you know, you. It should actually still do something for, <laughs> the brand. You know what I mean? If you're allotting all, all these resources to actually create these things, something should be coming out of it. Well, what do you think Google's endgame is on this? Like in my in my mind, it's working for like recruitment. Like if a cool big tech company also does jokey April Fool's jokes, like. You know, that seems like maybe somewhere that someone might want to work. True. It also, like, at this point, like you said, that they've been doing it for so long. For They, they might be one brand that it's kind of expected at this point. Like, mm-hmm. it would be a letdown if Google didn't because they're known to do it every year. So, as per Scott's uh, statement that you, you know who you are as a brand and you know what your audience is, but you might still be, you know, looking to dial into some recruitment. So, say you're, you know, just a toss words out there like Procter and Gamble or 3M, you know, just like a giant mm-hmm. who isn't known for this type of, you know, stuff. Um, does it make sense to just like jump in if you're looking to attract a younger, hipper crowd, for instance, but you're not necessarily looking to attract a younger, hipper consumer base? I'm going to say no. I'm going to like, if you're all unsure, if you know that, or if you know that your brand just does not uh, need to do something like this to kind of stay within the confines of what you're trying to say, don't force it. Mm-hmm. Like audiences are a lot smarter. They, 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 we can sniff out forcing stuff that's forced. You can sniff out stuff that is not genuine. Um, and a lot of times like when a brand is trying too hard, like that's the first thing that comes out is like, you can tell right away that they're trying really hard to grab yeah. my attention with that. Yeah. And I guess you can kind of tell too really quickly that there was like, you know, money behind this April Fool's joke and it's really a marketing campaign as opposed to just, you know, someone just having fun. Like Google's jokes don't ever seem like any sort of marketing campaign, but that lucid haram bed one seems like a marketing campaign to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Google usually, their Easter eggs that they do on April Fool's and like throughout the year, it is usually like a fun thing that you mm-hmm. can engage with. It's so it doesn't really let you down in that way. Harkens back just to authenticity in general. People will respond to that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of authenticity, um, some other brands that I think April Fools works really well for are 
a lot of fast food brands that do crazy wild stuff all year long anyway, like mm-hmm. KFC and Wendy's and what's another Skittles. One? Yeah, yeah, Burger King. Like they always do really fun marketing stunts and launch weird products. So those are some brands like to answer your earlier question, Scott, that I am looking forward to see because they do weird stuff all year. So it's like, how are they going to take that a step further on April Fool's? Um, and it can be wild and crazy, but like it makes sense for the brand and it's fun and people want to see it. Actually, here's a question. In researching this episode, a few sources pointed to some studies that have said that the majority of people actually dislike April Fool's. So we find it interesting because we're in this industry and we just find things like that interesting. And we love when brands, you know, are trying to push the envelope a little bit. But does the general consumer even care about this? I also, I think that kind of falls into the, it's a three hour PR stunt. I think it definitely is a wink to those who, who are engulfed in this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right, like to a normal consumer with a regular life who isn't screwed up like we are, it's just going to be like, that's weird moving on. (laughs) Um, But I think that's fine. Again, I think it kind of falls within that window. It's like, okay, well let the crazy people have their fun and now let's move on. Um, It's that sort of grace period where, you know, it's a little bit forgiving. Respect the hustle. All right. (laughs) Respect the hustle is back. And obviously everyone is super stoked to present their respect the hustle pick first. And for some reason, I have been voted to be the starter on this one. So that's cool. Mine's all about... Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying that I've been in this weird space in my adult life where I like doing outdoor things, but also don't want to look like an incredible dork. And unfortunately, the more practical clothing get, the dorkier it it gets. So there's no middle ground. And I definitely have this problem surrounding the summer season where the best shoes you can possibly have are like Tevas or Keens, but they're just horrible. What? They're horrible. They're just not good. They they look the worst. Actually, like, that I know that fake. I know that <laughs> Tevas, you know, had a resurgence or kind of like a thing in the last couple of years. But Only with socks. Are you but sure that maybe with socks and but Keens are are just something else. You know, are you like, pranking us right now? I'm not pranking you. Does resurgence just mean you're getting older? Not a resurgence for me. I never wore them. I was like, but one hundred percent staunchly opposed. And yeah, it does mean I'm getting older. I'm becoming old and nerdy and <laughs> I need to have strappy shoes sandals now like velcro straps and or just those like Keens that have a toe cap and they're like hiking boots but with holes in them for your feet breathe it's like what toddlers wear to protect their toesies it's like toddler toesies and also every old person hiker ever so you'd have to like wear those pants that are like kind of waterproof that have zippers that turn into shorts. <laughs> jorts. I do jorts. Those. They're jorts. Yeah. Nick, are you them. like, are you asking us to give you an intervention? No, I'm saying, please, please just let me. <laughs> are we going to give I'm, you like a pretty woman shopping montage yeah, later? I'm telling you about how I'm becoming. Gotcha. An old person dork. And I'm also going to get one of those hats that has like a flap at the back to protect my neck from the sun. I did think about that when I was in Florida. I saw yeah, someone, man. I was like, that seems really convenient. <laughs> you know what also seems really good? Those really big glasses that just like block oh out everything. Stop, like, stop. Like, <laughs> this is, this is like, hurting my face. There's no way that any ray of sun can ever get anywhere near your eyeballs when you're wearing those things. And I kind of dig it. Anyways, so the reason I'm talking about this is that Gucci released some shoes, as they do. And they looked amazingly like Keens, which are 
you know, the dorkiest shoes of all time. But Italian-based trendsetters and tastemakers, Gucci, have created a shoe that just looks just like the Keen sandal. Now, is this an April Fool's joke? No, this is a real thing. It seems like an April Fool's joke, but the fun digital part about it that I respect is that Keen, in their super nice Keen way, they were like, we're very flattered by Gucci. <laughs> but also, reproduce the ad, the Gucci ad, to a T using their own product. Of course. Because now, now that dog it's... dog swapped in. <laughs> now wow. that it's cool, you can go buy your non-Gucci, non-$900 pair. Totally. Well, this just really goes to show that it's the brand and not the actual... Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he smokes. And that was a true, uh, true figure that Ivana just said. The Gucci ones are, cost $900. Uh, American, I would assume. And Keens are? Keens are around 100 bucks. Okay. So you get eight uh, pairs of Keens. And I, I can't speak for the Gucci's, but the Keens you can definitely take on a canoe trip and do a little hike with them. And i got to say, the ones, I, I'm not going to say they look cool, but the, with the fluorescent colors, they look fun. They look more fun than they used to. They look comfy. Anyways, yeah. So we can, we can sit here and debate the benefits of Keens and Tevas all day long. You must but, get such weird tan lines when you wear those. I imagine you would get weird tan lines. <laughs> Anyways. I don't understand this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an Air Max, man. It's a whole different story. It's for you. true. I just don't, like, is it a shoe? Is it a sandal? Is it a joke? Like, uh, no, it's a real shoe. And it's a very practical shoe. And probably a pretty good one. I don't know if I'm ready for it yet, but I'm veering ever closer. Let's have I, a party now, when you buy your first pair of Keens. Okay, so, but... To digress, the respect the hustle was how well they handled that Ducky. I agree. Got that on their shoe. is brilliant the yeah. way they recreated that ad. Yeah, and with a dog. And um, they did it within the sort of the voice of their brand. They're like, we're nice people, we're super fun, we're kind of dorky ourselves. So totally. Thanks for taking us so seriously, Gucci. And of course, listeners, this will be in our show notes if you want to take a look at these pictures. So who's up? Next, I think it's Ivana because we're going clockwise. Because cool, uh, this week I chose for my respect the hustle to just be Nintendo in general. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I recently got a Switch um, at the end of last year, and I absolutely love it. Um, I'm someone who has always loved Nintendo, and that's the kind of games that I gravitate towards. I love cute stuff. I love fun stuff. And um, at the time of this podcast, Yoshi's Crafted World will have been released and it looks so much fun and it's so whimsical and I just really appreciate the love and care that they put into their games. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I just wanted to respect the hustle of Nintendo and uh, I wanted to research some numbers and the, the console itself has been super, super popular. As of December uh, 2018, they've sold 32 million units, and there's already speculations that they're going to be releasing and planning to create like an upgraded console version, like a Nintendo Switch Pro, probably for either like the end of this year or next year. Um, so yeah, that's my respect the hustle. I just love Nintendo. Nintendo just knows their brand so mm -hmm. well. They know the audience. They know that it's an ageless feel, like the the whimsy and adventure, and they also like know where to dial it up to more serious stuff and where to dial it back they've they've always been so good at that um that yeah i totally appreciate nintendo as well there's a time and a place for it in my life um it's not every day but i i get it and and their branding like 
Do you guys remember when you first heard the Nintendo Switch click? Like when they released that? I was like, oh, it's so good. It's so smart. It's going to become iconic. So yeah, I love it. Nice. That's sweet. Mark, you're up. All right. This might be an April Fool's joke. It might be a setup. We're not sure. This is either respecting the hustle or you think the end of the world is happening. Um, depends on how you look at it. If you are a music fan, you might hate this. If you are a technology fan, you might love this. But Warner Music signed an algorithm to a record deal. Now, what does that mean? So there is a app, a music app called Endel, um, and it essentially creates focus tones and and kind of melodic white noise uh, mumbo jumbo that kind of helps you sleep or focus or you know relax whatever kind of mood you're in and it's um, based on an algorithm based on like you know where you are what you're doing um, but so you kind of like log into this app and you kind of set what you're doing and it creates these tones for you now Warner Music liked this stuff so much that they got them to record um, eight albums with 25 or so songs. I believe those are the, the numbers. Um, and they signed them to a record deal. So this tech startup app company has a record deal with Warner Music. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, actually. like Confused and conflicted, of course. But also, it feels like a natural progression in a lot of ways. Even like, if you listen to Spotify and or other streaming um, apps, the degree to which playlists are curated, and now curated by algorithms, but now uh, Spotify just released that playlists are going to be personalized, personally curated by the algorithm. Um, I just feel like the way that we are fed music and ingest it is becoming so disconnected from human involvement that this just makes a lot of sense actually mm -hmm. i think it makes sense from um like you were saying it's not that it's a band it's a series of tones that are designed to make you feel a certain way mm -hmm. so in a way it's therapeutic mm -hmm. i almost think that it's smarter to for them to sign an algorithm than it is a people because it's all based on feel Mm -hmm. for them this one they can clinically say this is a sound that will make these types of people feel better so that's what we're buying and mm -hmm. it's you're not asking somebody to to create that from scratch mm -hmm. it's like you know what it is this, this actually makes a lot of sense yeah yeah because it, because it's like ambient sounds um it reminds me of do you know that song weightless by mark marconi union it's like it was a scientifically formulated song like put together by scientists to be quote unquote, the most relaxing song in the world. Um, so when it comes to that stuff that where it's like trying to stimulate the mind in a certain way, it makes sense that it would come down to science and algorithms, but it's mm -hmm. still really cool. If I was a musician who worked in the electronic space, I might be a little concerned. But are you designing, like if you, sorry, I guess it's a very personal question, but like as a, as a music creator, aren't you making music for yourself? Yes and no. You're making like not unlike the algorithm, you're creating tones to elicit an emotional response. That's fair. Yeah, I get that. That's I'm, essentially what a song is. Yeah, that is what a song is. But I mean, of course, every artist will make create that differently. But mm -hmm. the end goal is always the same. Yeah, I, but there is a I think with this one, what's interesting is that 
when you find out what it's for, it strips away any preconception of it's supposed to be art it, or, or a form of expression. This is noise created specifically to help an audience feel a certain way. And like, if you know that that is the end result of it, then I am okay with it being an algorithm and not a creator. Mm -hmm. Also, not to go too weird here, but it's a great way to slip into manipulation. If you want to say you are at a political rally and you want to incite anger and you have a particular type of music <laughs> that is created just for that, you just blast it over speakers. Seems a little freaky. One yeah. of us, Nick. One of <laughs> us. Okay, on that weird note, Scott, what do you got? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bring us up here after that one. Um, <laughs> recently, Apple had another giant keynote where they released a bunch of news on a whole bunch of like really cool streaming products that they're going to be having. So they're going to be streaming TV shows and video games and a lot of other these things. And one of the shows that they premiered was this really cool uh, Sesame Street collab called Helpsters. And they've created a character um, who is essentially designed to be on the show to teach kids and young people how to code. And I think it's amazing because one, it's like, remember when you were growing up and you're watching Sesame Street and they'd have like that little segment on French? In Canada, <laughs> it'd be in French. I still remember that stuff. So if they're replacing French with code, all the better. Nothing against French, but you know what I mean? Like it's a valuable language to learn at such a young age and to do it with sort of like puppets and it's fun and to bring it back to the whimsy. Like I love Sesame Street and to combine Sesame Street with like this, this, this element of tech, um, all within sort of like the, a modern way of consuming entertainment. I just think it's like a really awesome thing. I totally respect Apple in that sense. It's funny when you, when you talked... <laughs> When you uh, reference French, when I first read this, I thought of those like older immigrant, uh, well, families, but the older immigrant within the family that doesn't learn English and then the kids speak it fluently. That's what I'm going to feel like when every kid in the world knows yeah. how to code. Yeah, that's probably exactly how they'll feel. Yeah, and that's a little disheartening, although I think that this is a great move, obviously. I am so going to watch this, though. Just I know. To, like, to learn code? <laughs> well, not just to learn code, but like, so, and it's funny. So the character, the puppet that's going to be teaching you, his name is Cody. Ah, <laughs> punny. Yeah, so there you go. So Cody's going to teach you all about, like, how numbers and letters and combinations of those things can make things happen. Wow. That kind of brings it back to Nintendo because Nintendo Switch has that whole Labo initiative, which is, like, a small introduction to coding for kids, and that would be, like... It's, yeah, it, and the thing that's smart about this is I feel like, well, I guess, I guess at this point, the kids that are watching Sesame Street, like their parents are millennials now, so they maybe wouldn't be so turned off by that, but other parents might think that that's still like taboo, like, I don't want my kids get into video games and coding, so to, to turn it into like a mainstream thing that is like, no, like this is the future and it needs to be part of our children's education, very smart move. It's funny how it's like you. It's like video games leads to or coding leads to yeah. video games. Like no, I think that's I think that's how their brains work. Yeah, that's so like, weird though. Yeah, it's it seems like there is room here for like an adult version of this. Like I I really want to watch this, but I don't really care for watching Sesame Street. But if there was like a Game of Thrones coding version, that would be <laughs> sweet, and I would definitely watch that. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Well, yeah. there you go. That's the the million dollar idea. Um, I'm going to burn this recording so that no one else gets to that before <laughs> we do. But there we go. Dibsed. One note to this episode. In our intro, you would have heard Jackson Bot refer to a woman named Amanda. For those of you who do not know, 
Amanda is our master of coin who works out of the Pound and Grain Vancouver office, also known as Controller. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Version Control, episode 44, April Fool's Fun. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. 